0: This is Peep Inside the Panic Room, where we explore our passions with zero
1: limits, mixed with the occasional bit of chaos. You don't have to be famous to have a story to tell, so strap yourself in and enjoy the
0: ride. Welcome to Peek Inside the Panic Room, and today we've got a very special episode. Sitting with me at Corumbum Wildlife Hospital is Lewis McKillop, Head of Research. How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, good, thank you. How are you?
0: Mate, I'm very good, very excited. When Sophie and I sat down and we were planning what we'd like and who we'd like to have as guests on the show, and straight away I was like, I live in Eleonora, so I've got a bit of an affinity for the subject matter we'll be talking about today, koalas. They've got to be Australia's favourite animal, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. There's yeah. not a more iconic species out there.
0: I think it is, and it probably deserves to be a crown of arms. Is that what we call it? Coat of arms. Yeah. yeah. It should be there. But, mate, there's some issues, isn't there?
1: There is, yeah. Lots of issues that koalas are, are dealing with at the moment. Yeah. And big one that we see here in the Gold Coast in Eleonora is the chlamydia.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one because I guess there's been, it's been around forever. What, why do you find that it's in this area, there's such a high population of koalas with chlamydia? It's
1: a really good question. Across the Gold Coast, chlamydia is a huge problem, but it does vary quite significantly from suburb to suburb. Some uh, of the local populations, like the Burley koalas, are far better off than, say, the Eleonora ones. So we don't really know why. That's Um, a bit
0: like the humans, though, isn't it? Yes. They think they're a (laughs) bit better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, us lower socioeconomic Eleanorans is that could that be it's just it's interesting that it would change and that it really geographically we're it's pretty close
1: yeah genetically the koalas are very similar but we still don't really know why some areas are more affected than others um obviously there's uh, other factors that come into play chlamydia is a disease that catches between koalas but uh, other factors like the stress on the animal can determine whether they get, get sick or whether they can just cope with the disease unaffected. And certainly some koalas in some populations are, have got more stress factors related to habitat loss and dogs and people, cars. And yeah, there's lots of factors that can affect the disease.
0: So a lot of the factors there that you mentioned are human related. Yep. So am I to assume that Without human interference, this wouldn't be as big an issue?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So the Europeans brought chlamydia over with them. Absolutely they Uh, did. So that's how it evolved. It evolved from livestock and jumped across to koalas. And koalas didn't have that natural immunity. We started the problem off, but we've only made it worse. There was lots of hunting of koalas, which really decimated the numbers. then we had the other factors, like the roads and the dogs and the land cleaning on massive scale to, to build new houses as is, is really uh, decimated their populations. And as if things weren't bad enough, then you throw in bushfires and things like that. And yeah, really caused koalas to be on the brink.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I live, as I said, I live in Eleanora. I have an easement at the top of my street, which is a koala habitat. And I don't know it'd be just before COVID, there was a quail in my backyard. There were no big trees. It was just sitting in this small tree. Like it wasn't, it couldn't feed from it. It was just there. And it was amazing. Like it's the first time that we've actually had a personal attachment to something. And so since then, it made me feel we're really close to to this wildlife. These things are wild animals that are living in a domestic area. And you must, I know chlamydia must be, it's huge on the radar, but there must be many other factors that you deal with on a daily basis with koalas that just isn't chlamydia-based. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and land clearing is a big one, and it can happen on a grand scale. You see these new developments going in that are completely wiping out habitats, but it also happens on a local level where one person might want to clear their block and they may or may not have permission to do it. The trees come down and one or two koalas can be affected, and or the greater population... It's not that big a deal, but for those one or two koalas, it's a huge deal. They've lost their home, and uh, where do they go? There's not necessarily a safe passage to the next lot of safe trees, and where they try and go to may be occupied already, and uh, by other koalas, and they won't be able to fit in and slot in there. And yeah, just the problem just gets worse for these individuals.
0: Are they territorial?
1: very yeah, yeah yeah some of the koalas that we've been tracking only use three or four trees and uh, others are obviously that's the one end of the scale the boys do have a much bigger home range and it seems to be growing from what we've seen one possible reason for that is that a male would like to have several females in his territory
0: god i tell you what nature's it's incredible nature isn't it? because it's very similar to the human race where it, the men tend to wander yeah and it all comes down to one thing which is yeah, we need to think with the other head and koalas as well. Yeah, it'd be less problems. Sure, would be. <laughs> right. it's because I was thinking that you're saying that the females stick to three or four trees, but the males, if they wander, how far would they go? We tracked
1: one koala that would travel up to 500 meters a night, and yeah, its home range would be yeah about three kilometers squared. And that's an exception. That's a, quite, a big, quite a good example of a, a big home range. And traditionally, the home ranges probably weren't that big, but there's far fewer koalas out there now. And if he wants to have three or four females in his home range, he's going to have to move to find them. So, yeah, we're seeing that the home ranges for the boys are spreading, but the females aren't necessarily changing. But we don't know if that's uh, across the Gold Coast. This is just what we've seen in the Eleanora yeah. population.
0: So how big is the population? How many koalas are there in Illinois? It's
1: a really good question. It's hard to know for sure. Koalas are very difficult to spot in the trees. There's various techniques we can use. Council do regular surveys of the populations and come up with a a reasonably good estimate. There's obviously a bit of give and take there, but uh, they would estimate around 300 koalas. However, when we started this uh, vaccine project, the aim was to go out and find 10% of those koalas and vaccinate them. But as we've been doing this project, we've realised there's probably not as many as 300 out there. It's probably closer to about 150 left. The...
0: Oh, that's a bit scary.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is.
0: Good segue though. So the vaccine trial. Tell us a little bit about that and how that was developed and what happens moving forward with this.
1: Okay, yeah, so the vaccine is something that has been talked about for several years and it's not an easy thing to do. Given that the limited funding with COVID, every resource was thrown to create a vaccine quickly, but there's not that much funding around for koalas, unfortunately, and it's taken a lot longer to get to where we are today. There are a few vaccines available. The one that we are using is made by QUT up in Brisbane, and it's been around for a few years and it's been tested. Obviously, it has to go through several stages. We have to make sure it's safe, first of all. And then we have to see if, yeah, whether the antibodies are lasting in the system. And then we have to, see are they actually getting protection from those antibodies? So that's where we're at the moment. The only way to see if the antibodies are given protection is to test it in the wild. And that's what we're doing now.
0: And how's that going? Is it working?
1: It's going remarkably well. Yeah. We are tracking about 40 koalas in Eleonora that have all been vaccinated. And at the moment, they're all still healthy. And yeah, some of them are in two years into the project. And are still healthy, and a lot of the females are reproducing, and yeah, the things are looking very promising.
0: So, would you say that funding is the major issue with the trial, or are they, there are other external factors as well?
1: Yeah, at this stage, as you said, it's a trial, and we've got we've secured funding for this trial. But when this trial ends, providing the vaccine is successful, which it appears like it's going to be, where do we go from here? We, yeah. we can't just withdraw from Eleanor or the other koalas on the Gold Coast. We have to ramp up the vaccine and not just look for 10% we have to look for as many koalas as we can find and get them vaccinated and some studies done by the university have suggested that 10% a year is a good number to vaccinate to slowly turn things around but across the Gold Coast that's a lot of koalas and that doesn't come cheap. The project we're doing at the moment is very expensive because we're tracking these koalas with the expensive trackers and equipment But once we're out of the trial phase and we know the vaccine's successful, it will bring the costs down significantly because we'll only have to vaccinate the koalas and release them again. We won't have to track them. Keep tracking them the whole
0: time. Of course. All right. So you talk about tracking them. How do we do that? Because I, is it like a shark where you tag them and you track them or is it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a tag. And we use tags that have been tried and tested from from other researchers anything we do has to go through an ethics approval and so using tried and tested equipment is the quicker way to do it and the safer way to do it so we're using uh, trackers that are uh, commonly used on koalas and basically a a collar that has two components it has a gps component on the back which is a little solar powered panel that sends us uh, rough locations to our phone so we know where the koalas roughly are only accurate to within about 30 odd meters which for a koala that's still a lot of trees to look Mm. at and so the second component's of VHF which is the good old-fashioned technique and we're out there with an antenna in the air looking like we're fixing TV aerials and that'll take us to the very tree the koala's in. Yeah and yeah we go out and check on these koalas about once a week and then we catch them every six months for health checks. So it's
0: funny we go so far with technology but we're still using the original stuff to find them,
1: Yeah, and there's a few reasons for that. The GPS technology, there's obviously various types out there, but the cost is a factor. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the VHF, I think, is tried and tested, <laughs> and it'll be around for a long time still.
0: So you said QUT developed the vaccine. Yeah. Uh, do you guys work in conjunction with them, or is, it, is this a sole thing from you guys, or are you in conjunction with them as well?
1: Very much a partnership, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we've worked very closely with QUT over the past few years. And they make the vaccines for us each week. At the moment, again, we're in the trial phase. The vaccine isn't registered and it's not available in a commercial sense. And so the vaccine has to be made weekly. Today's vaccine day, the researcher made it for us this morning. And one of our volunteers drives up to Brisbane to collect it. And then that will keep in the fridge for a week. But again, once we're out of this trial phase, they'll be able to look at ways of giving it a longer shelf life. We'll just have the bottle in the fridge and it's there available.
0: Yeah. It's incredible. And you forget, it's, in the last few years, there's been a few vaccines in, in the news, right? Yep. And there's been a lot of trials and all this kind of stuff. And it's incredible the trial process that you're going through here, seeing what we've lived through for the last few years. And it's like all these things we've got to go through just to ensure that the koalas are safe. So it's pretty amazing that it just can't be, this sort of works, let's just move on. Like it's done right.
1: Yeah, we're very bound by ethics, which are set out by the university, but also the Department of Environment and Science. Everything we do has to be approved by them with the relevant permits and so on. And the worst thing we could do is try and do some research, but end up harming koalas accidentally. We're very cautious about that. We have lots of, uh, we have some set rules, but tend to go above and beyond in terms of protecting the koalas that we're tracking, because the last thing we want to do is cause any harm to any of these koalas.
0: Of course. So, obviously, the research and the, I guess, the tracking and the watching of these koalas has ramped up throughout the trial. Has, this, has there been anything else that you've found along the way where you've got, oh, we didn't know that before, or we didn't know this before? Because, obviously, you've got a bit more of a keen eye on them now. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It was a bit of an eye-opener to see the trees that they were using. Obviously, we know what a koala's favourite food tree is. There's primary food trees and there's secondary food trees. But we've learned that a koala will sleep almost any tree we've seen them in mango trees li- <laughs> lily pillies camphor laurels brush boxes we've even seen one sleeping in a lantana bush and one in a palm tree so that's pretty Aussie yeah oh, that's yeah it, it, it goes to show that obviously there's a bit of a push at the moment for people wanting to plant youth Palypse, and, and, and restore habitat but it goes to show that It's not just about the eucalypts. Every tree is important in the ecosystem. And a lot of these trees, what we've come to realise is that they tend to favour these other trees when it's hot. The eucalypts don't give a lot of shade. Whereas all these other trees, the fig trees and so on. have A lot lot. more
0: foliage. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so every tree is important to a koala, not to mention all the other wildlife species that are out
0: there. That makes me feel a bit better about my house. That I was like, oh, I'm a bit useless here. But no, I'm okay because I've got some trees in the back that I can hang in. Yep. It doesn't matter. It's just, they might not eat dinner there, but they can definitely have a sleep.
1: Yeah, and they might use it to pass through to other areas. Yeah, so that was really interesting to see. We've learned as well that we do know that koalas can swim, but we now have evidence of them doing it. One of our boys, a bungle, he lives in Schuster's Park, and occasionally we have records of him swimming across Talabudgera Creek to the golf course, and he'll go and visit the golf course for a few days and then swim back again, and yeah, we found him soaking wet a few days after he made the trip, and he's come back again, and then we caught him dripping wet. And the GPS data backs up what we're seeing that he <laughs> has. We've seen him on both sides, and yeah. yeah, he's yeah. So we do know they can swim, but having that first-hand evidence of it is interesting. We don't know why he goes. Yeah, and there might be a tree over there he likes. But yeah, this thing.
0: So you mentioned Shuster's Park now. It's an anomaly, Shuster's Park. Yep. It's I don't live far from Shuster's Park. And it's like this, you wouldn't know it existed unless you live locally You because you can't see it. Yep. I'd assume that's a pretty good place for a koala to pop up camp.
1: Yes and no. Yeah, okay. Dogs? <laughs> so it's also a very big dog yeah, park. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there are, there is a big section where no dogs are allowed and that's where Bungle lives. But every time we're out there tracking, we do see people walking their dogs off leash. Yeah. It's a problem and it does frustrate us because there is such a big dog area that people don't, I don't know need to come into to to the no dog area but even in dog area council have planted lots of koala food trees and we're scratching our heads saying why are they doing this and i I guess I, i can't really speak on behalf of council but my understanding is that firstly this that's where the space was to be able to put the trees but secondly koalas were in the area already and this gives them a bit more protection, because the more trees there are, the less time they have to spend on the ground getting between trees. So it does provide them a bit more of a safe haven, if they're going to be there anyway. But lastly, part of the bigger picture, people need to learn how to live with koalas, with their dogs. Um, mm. I, I think it's a misconception when people work with wildlife that must hate dogs and cats because they're trouble, but we love all animals. I have dogs at home, and yeah, I really love pet animals, and but. We need to learn how to live. We need to learn to live alongside the koalas. We can't just say, my garden is for my dog and yeah. the koalas can use the next garden because the koalas aren't that smart. And I guess in Schuster's Park, yeah, it's about education. There's lots of signage and the vast majority of people will do the right thing. And yeah, there's the odd incident with a dog, but yeah, they're few and far between.
0: Can they defend themselves? Because they've got some pretty scary claws, but can they defend themselves or that's not, not their go-to?
1: It's, it's not the go-to. They're very defensive. You generally, you come off second best when a dog's involved, and you'd be amazed at the species of dogs that have taken down koalas. We've had koalas die from being attacked by whippets and pugs and all sorts of things. It's not pugs. It's not just big dogs, and it's sometimes not just the initial trauma. It's the infection that, that, that comes after. But, yeah, there's not a species of dog, it seems, that wouldn't take down a koala, and that's just in their instincts. It's very hard to train that out of a dog. But yeah, learning to follow the guidelines that council set out, keeping your dog in at night when uh, you live in a koala zone is the single biggest thing you can do.
0: Peek Inside the Panic Room is proudly sponsored by Straight Up Digital. If you're looking for an irreverent, no BS, results-focused digital marketing company on the Gold Coast, look for Straight Up Digital on all social platforms or at straightupdigital.com.au. that's a, that's a good point so humans would pose far greater problem for koala population and domestic pets than anything else i would assume yes yeah so then what do we do when we find an injured koala or we think a koala might be in distress is, do we call you guys? What's
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can call the hospital here or you can call Wildcare. care a volunteer rescue and rehabilitation organisation on the Gold Coast. And we work very closely together. And certainly if you called our hospital for help, it may be us that come out or it may be Wildcare. We'll, either way, we'll, we'll get to that animal and then help it.
0: Should we try and help it?
1: I wouldn't recommend that they can give you a very nasty bite. People are obviously concerned about the claws, but the bite is quite significant and you may end up in hospital. The one time we would ask for your help is if you see the koala sitting or lying on the ground for an extended period. You may have an opportunity just to pop a laundry basket over the top until help gets there. But yeah, I certainly wouldn't try and pick it up. You'd probably end up in severe pain.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's a bit frightening. The spread of chlamydia, is there anything else that can be done to stop the spread? So it's hard to educate a koala, right? You can't. But is there anything that, how are they catching it? Are they just now just catching it from each other?
1: Yeah, it's sexually transmitted. It initially jumped across from livestock and it possibly transmitted through feces or something like that into koalas. But now it's in koalas, it's running rampant because they didn't have that natural immunity. So I guess the vaccine is going to be key to slowing it down. But I think my personal opinion is that the approach needs to be twofold. When we started the vaccine project in Eleonora, we went out looking for healthy koalas to vaccinate. We found a lot of sick ones as well. And those sick ones were brought in for treatment. And some uh, were treated and put back out there. And others, sadly, didn't make it. But uh, yeah, overall, it improved the health of the local population. And yeah, I think it needs to be a twofold approach. You can't just go and vaccinate the koalas. You have to try and deal with the chlamydia that's already out there at the same
0: time. Okay, so obviously the wildlife hospital doesn't just deal with koalas. Yep. You are attached to the sanctuary yep. and you obviously just don't deal with the animals in the sanctuary. Yep. On a weekly basis, how many animals are you dealing with? Are you dealing, obviously you'd have some stuff that you need to do with the sanctuary with the animals in there but what about wild animals are you dealing with many on a weekly basis? Yeah the numbers may shock you last year we admitted over 14,000
1: wild animals from the Gold Coast in the Tweed area which is uh, is quite alarming to translate that to break it down per day I don't know I don't know the number but I can tell you on a busy spring day we can get up to 140 animals admitted in a quiet winter's day it will drop down significantly to 20 or 30 but there's days I've been here and we've had 140 animals admitted, and it's. it's Holy hell. Yeah, it's, it's pretty scary.
0: That's like an ER. Yep. <laughs> like it's legitimately like Gold Coast Uni Hospital. Yeah. They'd have 140 people come, and it'd be in bedlam. Yep. So, how do you deal with that? Is it the same thing? Do you triage them? Do you yeah. go, okay, no, you're you've got, you've got a, sticking your foot no you're okay and is exactly the same way it works
1: absolutely yeah as soon as the animal arrives it will be triaged obviously anything life-threatening will take priority and then obviously severe injuries that may not be life-threatening will, will come along next and then animals that are suffering chronic conditions that have been bumbling along for a while they might have to wait a bit longer in an ideal world they would all get them seen straight away but as you in a human hospital it's just not possible yeah. you have to triage and Certainly the animals that are waiting are kept comfortable. They're provided with warmth if needed, oxygen. They may receive fluids or pain relief while they're waiting. And yeah, we'll get get to them as as soon as we can. But yeah, certainly when there's 140 animals coming in, it gets a bit hectic.
0: So that sounds like it's all hands on deck. So how many staff do you have? Not enough. (laughs) Yeah.
1: We have more than we have in recent years. We've been lucky to get a little bit more funding this year to extend our Extend our hours so we can spread the workload out a bit better over the day, but we do rely heavily on volunteers as well. Each day we'll have about three vets on duty, and about six nurses, and we'll have anything up to sixteen volunteers. We have about one hundred and forty volunteers, and they all come and do a four-hour shift each week. And we couldn't open our doors without
0: that. Blows me away. A hundred and forty volunteers. It's probably still not enough.
1: No, we still have gaps yeah. in the roster. Some volunteers pick up two or three shifts a week and some come in when we're short. And, but yeah, we still need more.
0: So if you want to volunteer, what, what goes into being a volunteer here? So what's expected? Because I know there would be some people going, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And then there would be other people going, give me the suture. <laughs> what, what's expected of a volunteer?
1: Nurses, a lot of our job is cleaning. Yeah, obviously the animals are pretty messy. So <laughs> cleaning is a huge part of the role. But well, it's not all blood and guts. The vets and the nurses treat the animals with their initial workups and then the surgeries and so on. The animals are through in the, the rehabilitation areas. are all bandaged up. They they've, they're they're uh, stable and they just need a bit of TLC, some food, water, medication, and a clean cage. And it's a big job. Sometimes, uh, in the hospital, we could have about eighty odd patients indoors and another forty outside, and those animals all need clean fed and medicated twice a day and if one person was doing it the last animal wouldn't get fed to lunchtime so (laughs) we need an army of people and they do an amazing job some of our volunteers have been coming for 20 years believe it or not a lot around the 10-year mark and we have the when they've been here that long they're valuable they're very valuable because they know the place inside out and they know the job and they just come in and get it done and a lot of the volunteers tell us that uh, their four-hour shift with us is the best part of the week.
0: Which yeah, is- I can see that. I can understand yeah, that. Yeah,
1: get some good vibes from it. They go away feeling really positive about themselves, that they've made a real difference, and yeah, love that about it.
0: You might get 140 animals coming to the hospital on a busy, a very busy day, obviously. Is there, a, is there an animal that's more likely to turn up? Do you go, oh, it's it's the parrots again, or it's the uh-huh. possums, or it's the koalas, or it's yeah, absolutely. Wallabies. Is there something that's more popular? If you, Not popular, but yeah. a more regular visitor, like a species?
1: Yeah, certainly. Some species are seasonal, but the one patient that's guaranteed to come in the numbers is the rainbow lorikeet. Yeah. Reckless. Those reckless lorikeets. Yeah, we we treat well over a thousand rainbow lorikeets every year. And there's a few reasons for that. The first one being that they're an abundant species on the Gold Coast. If you've ever been around the, the surf club at Burleigh in the evening, you'll... Hear the noise, there's an awful lot of lorikeets mm-hmm. there, and the same across the coast. So they are an abundant species. They're obviously a very popular species, given their amazing colours. But they do suffer not just the usual eco-hits, the cat attacks, but they also suffer from a paralysis syndrome, which can bring them down in large numbers, especially after rain. And we don't really know what causes that paralysis. that's widespread across the East Coast and there's been a lot of research into it, but no one's really cracked it yet. Despite not knowing what causes it, we know how to treat it. And yeah, we can often words back get them back out there.
0: Bloody rainbow lorrides. <laughs> Punished. Punish. Is I would have thought it might have been because they flew into people because there's you feel like you have to dodge down at Burley. It's Yeah, they, sometimes you just gotta dodge out of the way. We've not
1: had them hitting people as far as my we but they do hit windows quite often. Yeah. Uh, and they fly at high speed. and They like, are fast, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they are super fast. Yeah. I've always been concerned whenever one flies past me. If that had hit me. <laughs> I don't know who's coming off worse off. Yeah. Probably the bird. Like, I'm a big fella, but I still think I'd be in some pretty serious pain. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so how do we help? How does Joe Public help?
1: There, there's multiple ways to help that you can obviously if you find an injured animal that's the first thing you can do is get it some help if it is a small animal and it's safe to do you can contain it before seeking so you can help if it's a larger animal that, or a, a dangerous animal then you definitely call for help first and the hotline operators will give you some very good advice on what to do so i guess that's the first thing the second thing is to take responsibility the vast majority of animals come into the hospital those fourteen thousand, the vast majority are human impact sometimes it's direct so it might be the hit by the car the dog or cat attacks fish hooks are a huge problem discarded fishing line right, fishing yeah, hooks is a huge problem we've also got the indirect problems with the introduction of the these and the window hits and things where we've built that building and the birds don't see through the glass and so on so you can trace most of the admissions back to humans so i think we need to take responsibility for that uh, put your rubbish away, especially fishing hooks. Yeah, don't discard your fishing hooks. Yeah, don't drop litter. Drive slower between dusk and dawn when the marsupials are most active. Yeah, and keep your dog in at night. Keep your cat in permanently unless you're, you've got it on a leash or in a secure area. Yeah, taking responsibility is a huge deal. If you have the time, you can come volunteer with us or with wild care and foster animals at home. So we didn't really touch on that, but uh, any any given time, there's about hundred odd patients here in the hospital but there can be up to two to three hundred more out on foster care and again with foster carers are volunteers and like the hospital volunteers we couldn't function without them we could not house that many animals yeah so once they are stable and and the prognosis is looking good we'll try and get the animals out to foster care um and i think you're smiling at gail here gail is one of our foster carers <laughs> as well as a, an employee gail looks after a uh, orphan possums and she also uh, helps rescue koalas, amongst other things.
0: So there can be two to 300 animals that are out on foster care?
1: Yep. Yeah, and we'll provide the medication and the instructions. And care will provide the permits and the training and the support for those carers to, to get those animals through. And they may come back after a week, two weeks, three weeks for a, another vet check. And yeah, we yeah, we work together to get these animals back out. But Yeah, it's just yeah another... Yet another way, but obviously that that can be time-consuming, and not everyone has the time to volunteer. Obviously, we're all very busy these days with our family commitments and work and so on. But you can always donate and help the cause. There's the, yet yeah, we're always needing more funds to keep our doors open. It's not not cheap to to run this hospital, and it's not cheap to raise orphaned animals. And certainly, any donations are always greatly appreciated.
0: So you, and this might be a question for Gal, but she's sitting in the background, but corporate partners yep, absolutely. they're a big part of the hospital aren't they
1: absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. we have uh, some really good relationships with with local businesses and yeah they do some great work to help us help us keep our doors open
0: yeah excellent and then just the regular public can get on the website and they can donate there as much or as little as you want yeah and probably as much would be yeah, there's yeah.
1: lots, lots of different ways to, to donate we have a few initiatives there's the tree tv program where people can buy a tree for our plantation to help feed the koalas and it's a really great idea because that tree will live a long time and it will continually feed koalas for years and years and we've also got the walkways for wildlife and at the back of the hospital we have the walkway where people can purchase pavers to, to go in the walkway and obviously you can you can just, just donate into the general funds. Am I missing anything? The wish list, of course. <laughs> and we do have a wish list on our website where there's very specific items that we need and, uh, ah, and we've listed clever, them there. Yes. So rather than than just Donate money, you can actually pick what you want to donate. And yeah, it's a really good initiative. And it means you know exactly where your money's going and what it's going to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So you can buy a piece of equipment specifically required by the hospital. Yeah. That'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bequeathments. Yep. Thank yeah. you, Gail. Yeah. 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 See, yeah. Gail, the funny thing here, so people, I know you can't, you can you know, only see Lewis and myself, but we've got Gail in the background here who's head of fundraising and pretty much he's got the world's biggest job title. Yeah. Okay, and she is very smartly just set herself in the corner, but is feeding us notes as to how we can help fundraise and help grow the wildlife hospital here. So obviously, wills would be massive bequeathments Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah uh, that, that would make a huge difference so if people are interested. We have a very good fundraising team that are very well set up to manage these things, and uh, yeah, we'd love to to get in touch with people and discuss the options yeah. with them if they were interested.
0: It's a bit morbid, but. I think that bequeathness is probably the easiest thing. You know? Like, you've, Everyone needs a will and you might as well, make you know, your kids usually annoy you a little bit. You don't <laughs> want to leave them all your money. So you should leave it to the people that really need it. Just yeah. some of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's
1: especially there's some people out there that may, don't necessarily have a family that have helped us out. And yeah, it's yeah. a very kind thing to do yeah, uh, as you pass.
0: Yeah. Look, Lewis, I think we've taken enough of your time. Okay. It's been amazing. Thoroughly enjoyed hearing about what the work you're doing here, and upset that my fellow Eleanorans are struggling. But with your help, I'm sure they're going to be better a lot sooner than they would. Be.
1: Yeah, they're getting there. The one thing just to before we wrap up is that the exciting news about the project, which I didn't really touch on, is that in the past two years, the 15 female koalas that we're tracking have had 26 joeys between them, which has oh. really helped the local population. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. So that some of those hope- wandering males. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To for the females to breed every year is not possible, but we weren't expecting so many joies.
0: How long's gestation for a koala?
1: Pretty short. Uh, it's about a month. Um, and no they, way. And they give birth to little jelly bean, and it wow. cro- crawls into the pouch and stays there for for a long time. So, yeah, about. A bit like months.
0: my son. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's seventeen, but he's still essentially a jelly bean. Yeah, just won't leave. Yeah, he just he's hopeless. Yeah, yeah. So that's the way. it's always the boys as well. It um, is always the boys. Yeah. yeah, I just wish he'd wander. You know, be like an Eleanor or a koala and just wander a bit wander further. A bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. it
1: gives us hope. So it's not all dim and gloom. We have a, a chance here to turn it around and yeah, we're hopeful we can.
0: Well, it's quite funny that the reason that you're in Eleanor koala population is in the problem that it's in is also the reason you're going to save it. Yes, yeah. I look forward to seeing what's going on. And I'll tell you what. I'm not far from actually coming and volunteering, to be honest. I think I probably will. I don't know, Sophie probably will too, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, it's been amazing and really eye-opening and really heartwarming to talk to you, Lewis, and we really appreciate the amazing work you're doing with all the wildlife of the Gold Coast. And it's a shame that you have to do so much work.
1: It's a shame, but we're privileged to be in the opportunity to help. Yeah. Um, we're grateful that we have these jobs and yeah. we're, we're glad that we can make a difference.
0: Okay, people say, so look, get on the website, donate as much as you can, help out. It all goes to a great cause. It's, and if you've got some time, come down to the sanctuary and just see what it is because it is an amazing place and the hospital is really cool too. So please donate as much as you can. It's been an absolute pleasure, Lewis. Gail, thank you for hiding in the corner. Thank you for organizing this for us. We've really enjoyed it. We're going to keep in touch and make sure that we know what's going on. And we're going to keep spruiking your good work that you're doing. So we appreciate your time, mate. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Lewis. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, Peek Inside the Panic Room.
1: If you want to hear more of the chaos, make sure you follow us to stay up to date. Don't forget to give us a five-star review and check out our socials at Straight up Digital.